0: Psalm 110, where Aiden led us in our scripture reading earlier this morning. And um, this week we're switching things up. Uh, we went over another section of Acts 21 this past Wednesday. And uh, this morning we head here to the Psalms where we typically study on Wednesday evenings. My primary purpose in doing this uh, this morning. Uh, is that in obedience to the command Jesus gave us, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a bit. And Psalm 110 is a psalm uh, about Jesus. If you have been to our Wednesday evening studies in the psalms, you know there are different genres uh, of psalms, different types. Some are praise songs. Um, some are uh, wisdom songs. Some are lament. A lot of them are lament songs. And some, like Psalm 110 here, are, are prophetic Uh, They're messianic, meaning they're a song that's about Jesus Christ. A a song, even though David uh, or whoever the human author might have been of of that particular song, even though they wrote it centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's a song about and pointing to Jesus Christ. That's the case here uh, in Psalm 110. It's a song about Jesus. It's an encouraging section of Scripture as we celebrate communion together. Uh, We do that. We're going to do that this morning to commemorate what God's Messiah, what Jesus Christ did for us. Um, He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. And Jesus told us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, He said, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, that's what it says under there. Uh, I know it's all covered up by a, a little tablecloth now but we're to do this in remembrance of him. In remembrance, literally in the original language when Jesus said that, he said, do this to bring me to mind, to bring me to your mind. Well, let's bring Jesus to our mind this morning. I should say let's continue to do that because we've already been doing that, I hope, uh, with the singing we've been doing together. Uh, I pray that we do that every time we meet together. Now, Psalm 110 doesn't directly mention the cross, um, but Christ's interceding work for us, it's implied in verses 3 and 4. Instead, Psalm 110, uh, the majority of it points to us points us to Jesus after, after the cross. Uh, Psalm 110 speaks about Christ's ascension, where he is right now, and, and to what he's doing right now, and then also to Christ's glorious return for us. We read it together earlier. Before we study it verse by verse, let's ask God's blessing on our time in his word together this morning. Father, we uh, come to this song you've given us and Um, As far as it goes for me, uh, prophetic, messianic psalms, they're my favorite ones, ones that are directly pointing us to Jesus Christ, and um, that happens here. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth of these seven verses to us this morning, um, that we would bring the ascended King of Kings, Jesus Christ, to our minds this morning that we would also, uh, not just as we study this passage, but later as we celebrate communion, we would also bring to mind our advocate, Jesus, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. And God, I also pray that we would bring to mind and, and leave here with, with this Jesus in mind, the Almighty Jesus who has returned and made thee even today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Well, the first two verses uh, of Psalm 110, they uh, take us to the beginning of the book of Acts. Really, they take us to the ascended Jesus. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a little bit, and as we bring to mind Christ's great sacrifice for us on the cross, let us never forget that's not the end of the story, is it? The cross was not the end. Uh, Sunday came, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And and then weeks after that, Jesus gave his followers, his disciples, uh, the Great Commission. As they were going about life, we are to be making disciples of Jesus, Acts 1, 9 through 11, tells us this. After Jesus had spoken those things, after he had given his disciples that, and you and I right now, the Great Commission, it says that while his disciples watched, he was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight, and then two angels appeared to them, and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you up into heaven He will so come in like manner, just as you saw him go into heaven. Now, did you know that Psalm 110 here? It is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Over 27 different times throughout the New Testament, Psalm 110 is quoted. Jesus himself quoted it at least twice, specifically verse 1. Would you look at what it says there? The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, let me tell you what's going on here. If you take a look right above verse 1, it tells us that this is a psalm of David. He's a human author that the Holy Spirit inspired to write down every single word from God of this psalm. David is recording for us here in verse 1 a conversation between God the Father and Jesus Christ, God the Son. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? We, we get to witness this, even through reading, a conversation between God talking to Jesus, between God the Father and God the Son. It, it begins with the Lord said. Now look at that Lord there. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all capitals. When you come across that in the Old Testament, as always, the self-revealed name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, what God told Moses, this is who I want to be known as by you, by my people, way back at the Burning Bush incident back in Exodus. And who is God the Father saying something to here in verse 1? David writes, unto my Lord. Now look at that Lord. It's written a different way, isn't it? It's capital L, all followed by lowercase letters. Well, that's because it's a different word, and it's a different person of the Trinity. It's the Hebrew word Adonai. So Yahweh is saying to Adonai, and David describes him here as my Lord. So awesome. That centuries before Jesus Christ was born. Even from David's lineage, David trusted in God's promise of a coming Savior, Messiah. He might not have known exactly when he was going to come. He did not know that his name was going to be Jesus. But here David calls him my Lord. He's my Lord. Is Jesus your Lord this morning? I hope he is. I hope you've recognized him as such. I hope you have trusted in who Jesus is and what he's done for you to save you from your sins. And I hope you're living with him as the Lord of your life, your master. Now, what does God the Father say to God the Son in this conversation between them that David records for us here? God says to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What does God mean in all of this here in verse 1? Well, he's describing the ascension of Jesus Christ, just what Acts 1, 9 through 10 that we read just a little bit earlier described. That, that after his death and after his resurrection, Jesus was taken up into heaven. Right now, he's in the throne room of heaven. We just sang about it there with, before the throne of God uh, above. Jesus is seated at God's right hand. He's seated at a place of power and, and a place of honor, a place of exaltation because of his finished saving work for us. And Jesus reigns from there. Hey, he reigns in the hearts of those who have trusted in him as Savior. He, he reigns in his church collectively. He reigns in the lives of those who call him my Lord, just as David does here. That's where Jesus is right now. And that's where he will be until God makes his enemies, Jesus' enemies, his footstool. Meaning until it's time for Christ to return here on earth, where he's going to defeat all those who are in rebellion against him. He's going to judge all of those who have brazenly rejected him. And Jesus will reign uncontested as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Can't you wait for that day? I'm ready. When Christ returns, we're going to see verse 2 come to full fulfillment. And I can't wait for that. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. And he says, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Jesus is going to return with all those who are his, and at the battle of Armageddon, he's going to entirely rout the armies of this world who are risen up in rebellion against him. He's going to set up his uncontested kingdom in Zion, just as it says there in verse 2. In Jerusalem, Satan is going to be bound. Jesus is going to reign there for a 1,000 years. That's what Revelation chapter 20 tells us, and his uncontested reign will then go on into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth that he's going to create, man, I look forward to that day. In verse three, there's a description of all those who belong to Christ on that coming day. But but I hope it's true of you now as well. If you belong to Jesus, I hope this. Don't wait for it. This should be true of you now. Look at verse three. It says, "Thy people will be a willing people in the day of thy power, in, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, thou hast the do of thy youth. All who belong to Jesus Christ are His willingly." There's no conscription. There's there's no military draft. There's no forced servitude with Jesus Christ. Uh, We get to a place. This is what happened when you trusted in Christ the Savior. You get to a place where you recognize the incredible, amazing grace of God to you and who Jesus is and and what he did for you, and you willingly and you joyfully submit your life to him. A picture here is you and I as part of Christ's army, and we're clothed in the beauty of holiness, it says in verse 3. That's his design. That's his description of us here. Christian, when we trust in Jesus as Savior, uh, God's word tells us we're dressed in his righteousness. He takes off uh, filthy rags of our old lifestyle, of our old nature, and he, he clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. You know, but I pray that we stay clothed that way. God's word commands us to that we daily put off the works of darkness and we adorn ourselves with the armor of light that we put on Jesus Christ for all around us to see. And then in verse 3, at the end of it, when it speaks of you having the dew of your youth, the you there, it's plural, it's a collective noun. Uh, So it's describing the youthful vitality of those who belong to Jesus Christ. They have new life in him. One day they'll have eternal life in him. As we move on, verse 4, it brings our mind to the Advocate. Jesus Christ. Now, advocate's a term or title that we typically associate uh, or apply to the Holy Spirit. And we should, because that's one of the ways that Jesus described him when he promised us in the Gospel of John that he was going to send him to us after his ascension. Our advocate, the Holy Spirit is that. But let's not forget that when Jesus promised to send us another comforter, that, that another there, it doesn't mean instead of or different. It means another just like me. And so Jesus is our advocate. He's our defense attorney. He's our high priest, our intermediary between God and and us. And when we bring Jesus to mind in the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit, uh, the bread symbolically representing the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us, and that cup of grape juice that symbolically represents His shed blood for us, we're reminded very powerfully of our advocate, Jesus you see, it was you and me who deserved to die for our sins. And He made a way, God made a way, so that we would not have to face that punishment. It was you and I who, who deserved to be eternally separated from God and a Christless eternity in the unquenchable flames of hell. That's what we deserved for raising our fists in rebellion against God. But Jesus stepped in, didn't He? He did. And in God's great love, he made a way where we wouldn't have to face that punishment if we will trust in Jesus as our Savior. And that's what we commemorate this morning. Verse 4, it describes that great plan of God, the Lord has sworn, all capitals again. So this is the plan of God the Father, and he has said, this is going to happen. If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The Lord has sworn, and he will not repent. It's never going to change his mind or say, you know what? I did that for a while, but for you it's different Oh, it says thou, God speaking to Jesus again, God describing him to us here. Jesus, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That was probably about two years ago at this time. We are going through the book of Hebrews every Sunday morning. And we explain this whole Melchizedek thing. He was a priest. He was a king in the time of Abraham. Some believe that he was a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ long before he was ever a baby in Bethlehem. There's a number of situations in the Old Testament like that. But the point in Hebrews and the point right here in Psalm 110 verse 4 is that there are two. There's two priesthoods in the Bible. You're familiar with the Old Testament Aaronic priesthood under the Mosaic law. But that came to an end, didn't it? It did. Uh, When Jesus uttered that, it is finished, (laughs) as he hung on the cross, he was talking about not just the completing his saving work for mankind, but that Aaronic priesthood is finished. God tore the temple veil from, from top to bottom. The priesthood was finished because the redeeming work of Jesus Christ that it pointed to was now finished. And those priests that descended from Aaron They were never kings, none of them governmental leaders, but Melchizedek, way back in Genesis, in his priesthood, he was. And so is Jesus Christ, our King Jesus. He's reigning in heaven right now. He's reigning in our lives. He's reigning in his church. He's coming here to reign over all. More on that in just a minute. But our priest, our advocate Jesus, he's also a king. He's a king. Our perfect and final high priest, our interceding intermediary between us and God. He's our advocate today. I want you to remember that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here. Because so many times we're looking back onto his uh, interceding work for us on the cross. And we should. That's the whole purpose with the bread and the, and the juice. But don't forget that he's your advocate today, right now. Um, his interceding work on the cross as our advocate is finished but he's not done. He's not done interceding for us. That's why we close our prayers like we do. We say, In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, so be it. We pictured Jesus ascended into heaven, the first few verses of this psalm, but please don't see him there as sitting there bored or, or unanimated. No, that's not Jesus. He's not just sitting there waiting for God to give him the go, to give him the green light to come back and and do all this. Hebrews 7.25 tells us otherwise. And and listen, this might be one of the most precious verses in the Bible for the Christian. Hebrews 7.25 says, He, Jesus Christ, He is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Is He alive right now? Yeah, and he's in heaven at God's right hand right right now. And he's not just sitting there bored. He's always living. Right now, he's making intercession for you. He's advocating for you right now, Christian. I want you to bring that to mind this morning. Bring that to your remembrance. Do you realize that when you sin, when Satan comes to God condemning you for that sin, that if you confess that sin to God in prayer and you repent of it, Jesus lives for this. He lives to stand up and say, Father, I I paid for that one. Don't you remember? I paid for that sin. It's taken care of. It's under the blood, as that old hymn says. He shows his wounded hands, and he claims me as his own. Praise the Lord, right? Are you thankful for that this morning, this advocate Jesus? There's one more thing it tells us about Jesus here. It wants us to bring to our mind about Christ this morning. He's the Almighty Jesus. verses 5 through 7, these verses describe for us his return. Our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming, isn't he? He's coming. I I don't know when. I truly believe it's very soon. I do. I mean, there's no prophecy that, that is yet unfilled. There's nothing that God says, well, this needs to happen before Jesus Christ comes back. You and I need to realize that we're privileged to live in that day. That has never been the case until just a few decades ago. And you, I've told you this before, but when I was being interviewed to come here as youth pastor and the personnel committee and the youth committee, um, people on there, they asked me that night, you know, why, why I thought God wanted me to pass, be a pastor and, and why a pastor here specifically. And my answer to them was this, I believe Jesus is coming back for us very soon. I sincerely do. And I, I feel like God wants me to ready his people. Listen, that's my heart. Whether that means urging you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, be born again so you'll be taken up with us who have. Or whether that means uh, for you who have been saved, that you're living a life that's expectant and it's anticipating his return. Uh, Living a life of holy vigilance, just like it's said there in the description of you in verse 3, in the beauties of holiness. That That's a characteristic, a description of how you're living for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. God's speaking to Jesus here again. And through Christ, God is going to judge this world with holy justice. There's no army, there's no superpower, no alliance that's going to be able to stand against him. They're going to try. That's just over the horizon, folks. You don't want to be here for that. You don't want to be here for that. This is not going to be any battle like we know today. Would you listen to the words of, of God in Revelation 19:15 it says out of his mouth out of the mouth of Jesus Christ goes a sharp sword with with it that he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That's the Jesus we're supposed to bring to mind here this morning. When he returns and what he's going to do. Please understand, Jesus Christ needs no worldly weapon of warfare to accomplish what verses 5 through 7 describe for us. He's almighty. Bring that to mind this morning. That, That the same mouth that said, let there be light and spoke the universe into existence, the same mouth that spoke you into existence whenever it was that you were born, that same mouth is all it's going to take to put an end, to put somebody out of existence, with ease. He's almighty. Verse 6 describes what we read in the book of Revelation regarding the battle of Armageddon when Christ returns here to earth with those who are his. It says there, he shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. You don't want to experience that. You don't have to. God made a way for that not to be your experience. Jesus Christ is the way for that not to be your experience. Listen to me. The choice for every man is this. You can either be crushed beneath his foot, as verse 1 and verses 5 through 7 describe, or you can be exalted to sit with him on his throne. That's what Jesus promises the Christian. Revelation 3, 21, he says, He that overcomes, to him will I give to sit with me on my throne, even as I also overcame, and I am set down with my Father on his throne. How do we overcome? What is Jesus talking about there? How do we make sure we're on Christ's side in all of this? Revelation 12, says, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives even to death. So God's done his part. I mean, the blood of the Lamb to forgive your sins is held out to you this morning. Your part is faith. Your part is the word of your testimony of faith in the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Savior? If you haven't, do that right now. I mean, right now, even as I'm talking, tell him you want to trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, to give you eternal life, that you want to be on Jesus' side, that you want to follow Christ from here on out, that you want to be his. Verse 7 is our assurance uh, of the victory of our almighty King, Jesus, on that day. big fancy word. It's an anthropomorphism. So what they're doing here is they're, David is describing human characteristics or attributes or thoughts or behavior uh, to God. It says, for he shall, uh, he shall drink of the brook in, that, in the way. Now, uh, the picture here is of Jesus marching valiantly to battle at the battle of Armageddon there on that, that last day, and he's pausing to refresh himself. Uh, but he, listen, it's not going to be that long where he needs to stop and take a drink trying to help us understand. It's a poetic description like there is in the Psalms here. He pauses for refreshment as he battles to a final victory with lifted up head. I want you to bring this Jesus to mind this morning. His head hung in pain and exhaustion on that cross as he gave his life for us, as the Lamb of God shed his blood for us. But here we're propelled into the future at Christ's return. And he's not a lamb anymore. He's a conquering lion of Judah with head lifted up. We're to bring this Jesus to mind as Christians, as fuel to our faith while we await his return. This image, we're to bring to mind of the victorious, almighty Jesus. I've already issued the invitation to trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you haven't, if, if you didn't do that moments ago, do it right now. Here's your, here's your second chance, even as I'm talking. Be born again. And if you do, let somebody know. I'd love to know that you've trusted in Christ as Savior so I can rejoice with you, encourage you in your new life in Christ. But Christian, you who have. We overcome this world. We overcome temptation and sin by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our lives even to the point of death because we love somebody greater. We love someone greater, the one who first loved us, and we love him by living holy lives just as it described here, by willingly submitting every part of our lives to him as Lord. David called him, called Jesus Lord, my Lord, back in verse 1. Is he Is he yours? Is he your Lord? Is there some area that you've been battling submitting to him? Won't you surrender that this morning? I mean, do that right now. We're going to have a time of invitation before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's important because, look, there's not a whole lot of point in you celebrating what Jesus has done for you in the Lord's Supper if you're not living for him as Lord of your life. Just be empty ritual, this religious performance. So, won't you make sure that's not the case by making that right this morning? As Tommy comes to lead us in a time to respond to God's word, to ready us for the Lord's Supper, won't you confess any sin? Let the free and fully forgiving blood of Christ cleanse you from it, remove it from you right now. I ask you, submit to him as your Lord, your ascended advocate, the Almighty Jesus, right before we celebrate the Lord's Supper.